Hi, and welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place, land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally, and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and rising. Today I'm talking to Shannon Borahanvanaket at Tonka. Everyone calls Shannon Chachi, so I'm just going to go along with that too. Chachi is head chef at Tonka, having taken over the reins three and a half months ago. It's his first head chef role, having never really set out to climb the ranks, and so he's feeling his way carefully, talking to staff, feeling the room, and making the role his own. Chachi is a thoughtful chef, thoughtful about the Australian ingredients he wants to bring into the dishes, and thoughtful about the way he works with staff to assure their well-being. I went into Tonka right before lunch service, and it was all happening. Tables were being set, glasses polished, ice buckets readied. I felt lucky to be part of it, and lucky to get to talk to Chachi at the start of his head chef role at such an iconic Melbourne venue. When I spoke to owner Michael Bartholomew for a broadsheet article on the new direction for Coda and Tonka, Michael described Tonka as a beast. It might be a narrow restaurant, but it's long and there are a lot of covers. I get the feeling Chachi has it all in hand. How are you? Good, thank you. How's it been going? Not too bad. Yeah. We're still sort of rearranging everything. Of course. Yeah. Um, getting new stuff, lots of training going on, and yeah. Yeah, slowly chipping away at the menu. Yeah. Is it starting to feel like yours, or? <laughs> almost. <laughs> okay. Almost, yeah. Okay. It's a hive of industry. I love it. I like that feeling of everything being set up and. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's anticipating my service. My favorite favorite time of the, the day. Yeah. And do you work out here in the open kitchen or are you behind? I'm in the open kitchen. Um, I usually run services, so okay. if, I, if I'm on the pass, it's just in the center of that that whole bench there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of uh, like the conductor. Okay, you know, yeah. 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 It is a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it's sort of something that's overlooked a lot is, is running a pass. People think it's pretty easy, but. I guess uh, there's a few articles about expediting, and that's that's a I think it's it's a massive thing because the timing out here and the timing in there has to match, um, and people think it's just sending food and calling dockets, but it's it's all about timing and knowing your dining room as well, um, understanding how long it should take to eat things, or like if customers have a certain set time. Um, figuring out what's the best way to send food, how long food takes to get onto a plate and to the table, stuff like that. That's really interesting because I, I guess I might have thought that maybe front of house was overseeing that, but you're kind of like the gatekeeper then. Pretty much, yeah. A lot of place, places have like a maitre d' as well, so yes. you'll have one person in the kitchen and one person from front of house controlling what's going on out here and both stay on the pass, on either side of the pass, um, communicating with each other. Yeah. That generally happens here as well. Um, not as much though, so the person on the floor 
who's also on a pass, is more of a runner. So they'll take care of most of running the food to the table while everyone else here is just um, putting through orders and, you know, filling up orders, getting drinks, stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, wow. And so now, is it about, I think when I saw you, it was, you've been here two and a half months? Is it yes. now like three and a half months? It's like three and a half months now, <laughs> I think so, yeah. And, um, and how, how much... I mean, is there a feeling that you need to change, or is it, what, what, what are the changes that I are happening? The bones of the place are, are, are quite strong, you know, like it, it, Tonka and Koda, they, their identity is set, set in stone, I think, in Melbourne, you know, like they're, they're known for what they are. Um, it's more of just logistical things. Um, there was a big time, there was a long time when, after Kayleen left, um, and even while Kaylee was here, actually, because she had her way of running the kitchen, everyone's got their own style, um, whatever's comfortable, however we're being trained, how we came up in kitchens, um, it's quite different. I think uh, usually people assume that every chef is trained the same, um, and it's just, you know, once you get to a sous chef or a head chef level, it's only run one way, and there's only one way to do things, but I think... It depends on how the individual wants the kitchen to perform, what kind of food they want to do. Everything has to be readjusted. Like that kitchen is designed a certain way, um, and there's physical parts of it that I can't change. The way it's built, the way the sections are. Um, but what I can do is make create food, and then sort of adjust where the food comes from uh, based on what utilities we have in there um, so for this kitchen it's a little bit of a weird design it's not very it's very long yeah um, so all the sections are very separated uh, so it's hard sometimes if I want to for example I've just moved one section all the way over here as a uh, larder it used to be over with fryer um, but there's a lot of items now that I'd like to bring together on this side that sort of in relation with grill, so there's a few items on, on entrees for larder to do, but they're starting from the grill, uh, and also most of most of the kitchens I've worked as a as a chef de partie or a commie chef, pastry and larder were always joined together. Whereas when Kayleen was here, she was a very strong pastry chef, so yeah. she focused very very much on that, and she's doing incredible things. And larder was all the way on the other side of the kitchen, uh, which I'm not used to. Uh, it feels like when I came in, it felt like pastry was quite glorified, which is, you know, of course, that's her style. Um, but for me, I think there's a certain finesse and, and attention to detail when it comes to larder chefs and pastry chefs that work very well together. Um, because everything's so intricate and small, all the, all the small appetizers and snacks and entrees, they're, they're very pretty things um, and I think that skill can be translated across pastry and other very well um, yeah so a lot of pastries you know they're very small and you know they look beautiful there's a lot of components that are prepared separately and then brought together and in my mind that's how larder should perform as well ah yeah that's yeah. interesting yeah so like things like the beetle leaf you know it's, a, it's, it's just one leaf it's such a tiny thing but there's so much you can do to it I think also because it's the first thing that comes to the table 
um, all of these entrees from water, it should be a nice introduction to the meal. Something that's sort of like visually exciting as well. Um, whereas mains, not that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't look good, but it's not as, it's not as, how would I say it, delicate. Because mains, you know, like here we do the curries and things like curries here, they're the staples of, of tanka, so it, there's not much that I want to do um, to change that concept, you know, because um, we need curries, I think, it's it's part of tanka. Yeah. And we do gorgeous curries, like they're, they're really tasty. Um, I will add a few mains uh, and a few in-between, such as like something more the size of the trout. That's not really a main, it's not an entree, it's sort of in-between. Um, I really want to play around with that quite a bit, but there's only so much you can do to a larger dish uh, to make it pretty, Yeah. right? Um, whereas the smaller things, it's, it's really fun to have little fine bits and pieces that, that sort of build it up. Yeah. Mm. And when I spoke to you, you were talking also about um, playing a bit more with native ingredients or Australian um, Australian produce and bringing that a bit yep. more into the menu as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to run that across across all sections as well. So I'm, I'm slowly starting with larder. It's easy to start with larder because it's, um, well, it's, it's fun, actually. It's not easy. It's more fun because there's so many little components to things that I can utilize all of these different ingredients. Um, and then going on to pastry, so we're working on a waddle dessert, so like a waddle cream. Um, and Steph, our pastry chef, is doing a lemon verbena uh, milk sorbet. We tried it with just a, a classic creme anglaise, so just like an ice cream, but it, it takes away from the verbena quite a bit. But there's a lot of subtleties in native ingredients. It's weird because it feels like there's flavors of native ingredients that are really strong and overpowering, but the moment you put them with something more traditional, they tend to, to fizzle out. So with the verbena ice cream, you get to taste the egg and the cream from the creme anglaise yeah. more, and it sort of overpowers the verbena, which is it's interesting because verbena is such a strong flavor. Yeah, wow. Um, it's super floral and it's like citrusy, citronella sort of vibe. Um, so we're working on milk sorbet. So we do a milk sorbet on the kulfi, uh, Lemington. I think we use a similar recipe and I feel like that would be more subtle and easy to to bring the verbena up, up to the front. Um, and then we're doing some things with paper bark. We're going to smoke some mussels. That's cool. Yeah, so I, I love paper bark. I used to do Ari Cod with paper bark with uh, Chef Eric and Trawool. Yeah. Um, and we, we would serve the cod on a piece of paper bark and sort of light it. So all the, the smoke would hit the cod and also to the table. It's just sort of... A, like embers still going a little bit oh, and you wow. get that uh, paper bark it feels like you're walking through a forest still with like maybe a little forest fire nearby or something like that or someone had just a bonfire um so I, I really like that idea so we're gonna um smoke and pickle some mussels and then serve it on an idli which is uh, similar to the batter is similar to dosa um, so it's like a fermented white dal with uh, idli rice okay. um, we'll make a little pastry out of that 
and deep fried, so it's like a little, little crispy but soft in the middle um, pastry, and then uh, chickpea, a chickpea mousse, and then a little bit of a, a, a smoked pickle muscle, with, smoked with paper bark. So we're, wow. yeah, we're sort of going, going real native, but also still with a. I would, I would say like in a similar way classical French technique but Indian classical Indian technique yeah um, which I'm, I'm I'm still digging into quite a bit yeah it's it's, it's all quite new to me uh, Indian food and how are you digging into that like where do you where are you researching or um, discovering as much as I can I read a lot um, but mostly I think the best information I get is from my Indian staff yeah, <laughs> because they were born with this uh, they grew up um, I'm lucky to have a few guys in there who are from different parts of India as well so we have Sal one of, one of uh, my larger chefs she's from an area near Goa um, so there's like more coastal flavors and they, they tend to argue about how things should be which yeah. is really good for me because um, I get a different perspective on I'll say there's one one dish that everybody has it's a staple in India, but everybody does it differently, just slightly. You know, they'd be like, no, 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 you want to steam this chickpea, and, or no, you want to boil it or fry it, whatever it is. And then we test it all and see what's what's the best. Not the best, but what what I think is the best. <laughs> I think in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I bounce off of them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, I think it keeps them excited about being here as well. You know, it feels good to, if somebody asks me about Thai food or what I grew up with, uh, I get really excited to tell them about these things, you know. I, I think it's the same feeling for them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, well, and they feel invested, they, you know, they feel appreciated. And, and obviously, as you say, they're the ones that know, that have got that inside information. Mm. Is this your first head chef role? It is, yeah. It's yeah. nerve-wracking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a project as well. I asked some of my past chefs, you know, like, is this normal to be dealing with this kind of thing? Like, uh, a, lot of, a lot of parts of this is uh, just like changing over staff and dealing with a restaurant that was in a little bit of turmoil in terms of staff and COVID and all this happened. They're like, no, so just relax, you know, yeah. like it's, it's not normal, um, but it's good that you recognize that uh, yeah. because otherwise I would have been like, I would have looked more inwards and thought I was, I'm not capable and I'm not ready for this, but I think it's a, it's a very particular situation. Well, absolutely, and I think too, if you're in any um, you know normal context, stepping up to head, head chef is a big one as well because it's not just about loving the food and knowing what to do with food. Obviously, it's food costs, it's staffing, it's leadership, it's all yeah. of those things. Yeah, yeah, and and I didn't have a sous chef as well, so it's very much there was a big gap, oh, okay. and uh, <laughs> I have one now. So, <laughs> but there was a big gap um, in in the structure of, of the kitchen. Um, and I found myself doing what I used to do as a sous chef and really like managing people's emotions and, and stuff as well as trying to do my head chef duties. Um, so it was a little bit over cumbersome, you know. Um, but now I have a sous chef in there, his name's Gianni. He's uh, someone I used to work with and it's, I could finally pass on a lot of the 
a lot of the weight, which is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, with, you just spoke before about um, growing up with Thai cuisine. Is working with food, is that something you always knew you wanted to do? No, well, it was 50-50. I was, I was heavily invested in music. Um, so I was a musician most of my schooling. Um, but at home, because there was nothing to offer with cooking in school, uh, at home I would, I would focus on that a lot. And it was always one or the other. And then I came to, because of my studies, um, I what came, kind of music? Musician? Oh, uh, just well, mostly I played classical guitar. Oh, yeah, and, and then um, and then sort of went my own way. Did, so produced some like electronic stuff, uh, very experimental. Um, and I came back to Australia after high school, and it seemed like a path that was it was kind of written. I went to university here for audio engineering, yeah. uh, which well, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so my parents were kind of like, why don't you just do this, you're already, you know, you graduated as a musician, you should continue this. Um, I spent one year in SAE and didn't like it at all, but in the meantime, while I was going to university, I had to like support myself, so I got into kitchens as a kitchen hand, and then sort of my attention leaned over very much over to the kitchen even though I was I was a kitchen hand for like four years and uh, dishwasher but it still felt more comfortable I felt very much everything that I was doing felt natural wow. to me. yeah even though it was putting dishes away and getting yelled at and then cutting onions or lifting you know, way too many bags of potatoes um, I worked in a fish and chip place on in South Yarra, it's called Hooked. Oh yeah. And they had the kitchen hand do the chips, so they had hand cut chips. But it was a mountain of chips. <laughs> <laughs> and an absolute, yeah, it was like a ton of chips every day, and I felt good doing it. It felt, I felt grounded. Yeah. Um, I felt like a like a like a person. You know, it's doing hard work and seeing the result, even though it probably didn't mean much to. Somebody sitting down having chips, like, oh, these are nice chips. You know, yeah, yeah. For me, I felt fulfilled when I did my tasks. Um, and yeah, since then, I've, I've just kept going. I don't think I ever had uh, I, an ambition to be a head chef. Um, it's it sort of, I think I just, the way I worked, I let things take its course. I never had, like, I never strived to to move up too much. Um, it just seemed natural. Uh, I would work hard in, in a few places, and then the next place they offered me a higher position, and so on. And it just kept going like that. Um, I had a lot of good people around me as well. So people like Eric and Henry as well, they, they recognized, when I was working at Coda, they recognized they're like, you're a little overqualified for this. Um, especially Eric, he kept pushing me up. He was like, I think you should go for uh, sous chef job and, and yeah and and chefs in the past as well close friends they would um, they would throw me counter offers I'd work for them um, and then I'd say uh, I think I want to try something else and they would say why don't I pay you more and you can be a sous chef here and I was like no I'm not ready for that um, 
So I want to try somewhere where it's less less busy, um, less pressure, uh, just in case I do a bad job of it. Oh. Um, that happened to me at Panama Dining Room. So I was a CDP at Panama Dining Room for two years. And I went, a friend of mine offered me sous chef at Rice Queen, which seemed more my style and a little more, a little less, uh, not pretentious, pretentious bad word. A little less high end. It's more like a hawker style food hall kind of thing. So I was like, okay, as this, if I want to try my first sous chef job, maybe I can try somewhere there where there's not so much pressure into the quality um, or just mass and getting food out. Yeah. Um, but then the Panama Dining Room head chef was like, I'll give you $10,000 more and you can be my sous. And I was like, I'm going to mess it up. Oh. I think, yeah, he was like, okay. It was fair enough. Really. He appreciated that, you know. Um, but I, I think because of that, I've made really good connections with people and they're still in touch. He just opened up a Nazar wine bar and he's still asking me how I'm going. Especially now, I think now that everyone knows I've taken a headshot every day, it's like a, a monthly message from all of them like, are you okay? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm good, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So it sounds like you're a very um, reflective and self-aware <laughs> chef. How do you, I mean, and it's a job where possibly a lot of that goes on and you can see it on diners faces you can you're aware of it in your staff so how do you manage that for yourself uh i go home and cry no no (laughs) (laughs) No, i I think a lot of the time i tell myself it's i i I think i tell tell myself what's important to me I think that's the most important thing and one of the most important things which I think these guys are happy about is that I do care about how they feel physically yeah. mentally um, I don't want to I've worked in a lot of kitchens where that's not the case because the, the focus is is getting the food right and the way you know up to standard regardless of how many hours you do uh, regardless of your mental state or, or your physical state, um, which I understand, and these these places have been great and have gone uphill, and I, I I feel like I train very hard and well in those places, but I think I'm trying to approach things differently here because of that. I I didn't feel good leaving those places. Um, I felt like an angry person, you know, it, I feel like it, everything sort of, it bleeds out the same attitude and I was really concerned that if I ever got to this stage that I would be someone that people are afraid of, uh, someone that people weren't happy being around, but rather just wanting to be in a good kitchen um, and put it on their resume that sort of thing um, I think also especially after after COVID I feel like I focused a lot on staff retention and it's a major thing I, now chefs are free they can go wherever they like you don't have to be in a place for more than six months and I think in my position that's sort of in a business perspective it's difficult if people are in and out there's a lot of training involved and getting people back 
comfortable with the team and the place. And so I try my best. They, they understand here that I do my best to cater to their needs. But at the same time, I think the return is, is much better because they want to give more. Um, some people don't. Some people don't work, work that way, and that's fine. Um, I'm not here to force anyone to do what they don't want to do. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> but it's a it's a big I mean it's a big discussion point in the industry, isn't it? it mm. Currently, well-being and and staff retention and mm. and I think those things probably go hand in hand, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's how I deal with it. That's how I feel better about doing what I do. Um, when I go home, I think they were happy today. I yeah. Think, yeah. It was it was a hard day. This guy's done uh, overtime, but he knows that I'm going to give him time off next week you know, because I can. It's yeah. it's fine. I'll put in a little bit of extra work, cover somebody if I need to, um, and I think it's it's important that I do that too. I need to stay grounded. If I forget how to cook. Um, not a, not a chef. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I need to keep my hands hands touching food and yeah. 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 So you, maybe it's too early to say because there are lots of things in the air at the moment. But are you still? So you're still loving it. Yeah. You love being a chef and Absolutely. wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. <laughs> Despite yeah. the challenges. Yeah. There's definitely been thoughts um, to go a different direction. You know, sometimes when it's hard. I wonder, you know, if I could have done something else, but it, yeah, it comes back to this. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would your advice be for a person, a young person who was considering becoming a chef? Ah, really think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Try it out. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the best thing you can do is, is go and try. Um, you finish your trial or your shift in one place because the great thing about kitchens I think the great thing about the industry is it's not hard to get into even if you come in as a dish or something you know um, sometimes I feel a little bit crazy to say but there for me like I said I felt comfortable doing the hard work I think it's important for people who are thinking about getting into it to just try um, Sure, if you want to do your studies in, in culinary or, or uh, commercial cookery, that's fine. But you don't really know until you're in a real kitchen how you feel. Yeah. Um, if you the rush, like how hot it is, um, that's when you know. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And there's no, like I said, there's no barriers. You, you, there's nobody saying like, no, no, you, you can't get a job in a kitchen. Put your resume out everywhere. I, I used to walk in the door to a lot of places and just hand my resume in. It had nothing on it. You know, it had, <laughs> but places will take you in. Yeah. Um, especially right now. And it's rough and it's busy. People are, I don't think, I think it's not necessary that people are, are rude or mean. It's more that the job's hard and it might seem that way. Uh, but the most important thing is like if you feel comfortable then not even comfortable if you feel happy with being uncomfortable <laughs> then it might be for you yeah 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 absolutely I've seen a lot of a lot of uh, younger chefs you know finish their schooling and 
they have this great ambition and then the moment they're in a real kitchen, they turn around. So I think it's important to, to do it the other way around. Yeah, give it a go first and then... And then yeah. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Chachi at Tonka. You can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Tonka Melbourne. And if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. And then you can see when the chats come up. You can read the chat at www.conversationwithachef.com. And I'd really love it if you told a friend about the conversations. Of course, you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Then I know that you're there. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.